I've got to take this. Okay. Hello? Oh, I missed it. Is that the worktop? Well, I'm worried it was the worktop. <gasps> oh, my gosh. I mean, um, we, we are literally live with the worktop <laughs> delivery during this podcast recording. It really is tender hook stuff. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And I'm Sophie Robinson. And before we begin this episode, I wanted to introduce you to our lovely new sponsors, Causton Architectural Detail. They are makers of a beautiful collection of coordinating sockets and switches, handles and hinges, and gorgeous lighting for both indoors and outdoors. The products come in three finishes, antique brass, bronze, polished nickel, and they are designed to coordinate across the full range to take the stress out of decorating. And when it comes to creating a successful interior design scheme, it's so important to remember the details. And the touch points. Yeah, and these days, you don't even have to stick to the traditional old white plastic. You can choose your finish and make sure, well, that it goes with everything else within your design scheme. I'm actually using Causton in my own home, and I've gone for the bronze finish across the whole house, so all my sockets light switches and door handles will match well I mean as soon as I get doors to put them on that is but you know I have the boxes ready what you haven't got any doors well I do have some doors but I mean they are some of them just waiting on the landing not yet fitted (laughs) but there are so many jobs still to be done that that's just one of them so you chose a deep dark bronze finish did you I mean that does sound delicious but why did you go for that particular color well I figured it was warmer than black and also I think it's an easy a mix with other metals you know I've got chrome bathroom taps Mm -hmm. but my window locks are brass so you know you can't necessarily I couldn't necessarily do all of it in one go but I wanted a finish that would be happy against both those and I think bronze and chrome works really well and bronze and brass worked really well Mm. so for me that was a really good solution that isn't kind of trend-led but goes across with everything else because you do well you can mix metals and sometimes you just have to yeah but getting that blend right is really important and I think it's really good that you've actually thought about it too because I think if you chuck loads of different metals into your project it always just looks a bit mismatched so nice job Kate Watson Smythe uh if you're planning a switch up see what I did there then check out corsten.com that's c-o-r-s-t-o-n where you can find more details on their beautiful ranges and on that topic you've got me thinking about it because I've got a bit of a renovation redecoration on the horizon oh are you gonna share (laughs) yeah I am because we are you know as I've probably shared on the podcast before We have always planned to do an extension with this property. That's what we planned to do when we bought it back in 2016. We got planning permission in 2020. But due to the cost of living crisis, our mortgage rocketing up, we've slammed the brakes on everything. But I think we've come up with a solution and it fits in with our topic today. So today we're going to be talking about how to manage your build budget or renovation and indeed how to try and save a bit of money on your build. And I think it's a really nice sort of companion piece because a few weeks ago, we had a bit of a deep dive into how to get that sort of designer interior look on a budget and where you can save money and some our sort of interior design hacks. And so this week, we're taking it to the 
architectural, structural side of things. Um, but I do, just hang on a minute because we've got, we've got, you'll be delighted to know this, we've got the builder husband back again. Oh, so yes. So he's managed to persuade him. <laughs> but I've just, I've got someone at my door. Hang on, I'll be back in a second. I was going to say, yeah, we've got Tom coming up later on in the podcast. He is going to be remote because he's actually on a build in Brighton at the moment. And he had a crane delivering some steels at seven o'clock this morning and it broke down and blocked the entire street. So... <laughs> He's actually going to be coming to us from the building site in Brighton, but he's still going to join us. Live from the building site. Live from the building site, because this is the real world in it. And I mean, also, Kate, you're also still fighting fires within your own building project, aren't you? Oh, it never ends. It never ends. Where are you? I want an update. (laughs) Always love our little weekly updates. Where are you with everything? Where we are is I am sitting here on pins waiting for constant WhatsApp updates from the delivery driver of my worktop, which, as we speak, left Newcastle, not at the promised 8am, but I'm hoping (laughs) we've been a bit, we've been a bit fuzzy around the edges as to what time it left, but I'm I'm fairly confident (laughs) it left before 10. Um, It's a five hour drive and I'm really, really hoping that it gets here before about half past three because it does a Apparently take four people to lift it and my builders go home at half past three and if they're not here in time then it's just the driver of the truck me and the mad husband (laughs) and that's not going to work so there we are but in the meantime I'm on to the accessories bit so I've just got here a box I'm so excited she's got a box She's got a it's box. It's a box of light bulbs. Oh my I'm gosh, so excited. Got... Oh, honestly, you have no idea. We're doing an unboxing. We're having a live yeah. podcast unboxing, everybody. Yes. Yeah, of, of, look at that. It's a light bulb. Oh, my God. I'm listeners, so excited. Listeners, if you could see <laughs> this face, right, that I'm oh. looking at right now. It's a joy. It looks like Kate has just been delivered, I don't know, like a box of chocolates or something. The delight on her face <laughs> and she's pulled out what I could only describe as a... It's one of those golf ball light bulbs, isn't it? It's a golf ball light bulb. And this and is the... opal. <laughs> it's opal. <laughs> I can't tell you how excited I am. Because... This is the renovation madness one gets to when the highlight yes. of your week is unboxing some... A light bulb. Not not any old light bulb. No, it's an opal light bulb. Come on. It's an opal pearlized light bulb. Because let me tell you, we have had no electricity (laughs) in that kitchen for about six weeks. And the builders have one of those massive kind of strobe light things that they leave there in the evening that we can turn on. But the problem is they run it all during the day. And by the time it gets to us, it's run out of charge. So it's pitch black in there. So we have to negotiate our way past all the tools using the phone torches, <laughs> then to try and find the socket on the extension lead to plug in the strobe light. And then we can manage to, you know, load, load. We have got the dishwasher on an extension lead for small mercies. That's amazing. So it's kind of loading the dishwasher with the strobe lighting of the builder's light coming in. And then yesterday, the electrician came and started to do the cabling for the lighting. And he managed to fix one of the ceiling lights. And then, of course, did we have a bulb to fit in? Of course we didn't. Whoever, whoever has the right bulb when the bulb goes, you know, is it any 27? Is it any 14? Is it a baton? Is it a screw? Is it an Edison? Is it an incandescent? Who Ooh. has it? Well, we didn't, Ooh. turns out. Have any of ordered. the above. You had none of the above. Have any of the above. None of the above that fitted. Um, and so today, I've got 10 of these light bulbs. I've oh only got one light gosh. fitting. But, you know, hopefully 
we will have soon the other nine in place. Knock yourself out. And then I will have water. And I just can't even tell you how exciting it's going to be. I mean, you might even have a worktop. I mean, we're all on tenterhooks for you here, Kate. Yeah, we're really on tenterhooks. Well, I'm quite on tenterhooks for the worktop, let me tell you. Yes. Let me tell you. Yeah, Let's I, not, you know, I don't, not jinx I, the work. I don't think the back can uh, take it. Um, it uh, put you know, carrying that in yourself. So, so let's hope they make their deadline. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Okay, so um, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, Kate, the levels of stress uh, for the last five months of your build. And um, it's with some intrepidation that I'm about to embark on my own little build. So basically, Tom and I have had a, drum roll, light bulb moment. <clears throat> oh. See what I did there? Was it a, was it a pearl light bulb? <laughs> it was an opal golf ball. Yeah. In 27. Excellent. Light bulb moment. <laughs> so as, as I've already shared, we've shelved the extension plans. But my light bulb moment came when I thought what we've always wanted to do is move our kitchen from the north end of the house. We've got quite a small kitchen. It has a view of the parked cars. And on the south end of our house, we've got this beautiful Sussex countryside unfolding before us, willow tree pond, everything else like that. And it's the living room. Now, I think this is really interesting when it comes to planning the layout of your house because actually the way we live is we are all bundled in the kitchen all day, every day. Uh, Friends come round, we're all bundled in the kitchen. And actually the living room really only gets used on Christmas Day. (laughs) And in the evenings, post six o'clock, bit of Netflix before bed. And we're definitely not sitting there looking at the view, we're looking at the telly. And it's a lovely big, but it's a big living room. Our living room is literally probably three times the size of our kitchen. So since we can't afford to do the extension, actually, do you know what? I think this is a really interesting thing to talk about. We didn't, we don't actually need more space. Our house is actually big enough for the three of us. It's just the layout of the house that's the problem. So my plan is to put the kitchen in the living room, which is big enough for kitchen units, a kitchen island. Haven't we banned those? Well, I know. I knew you were going to come at me with thoughts of that. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, A kitchen island and a dining table big enough for eight people. So the big investment that we are going to make is we're going to put in some French doors in our living room. At the moment, it's quite a tiny window. We've always had this bugbear that we don't can't appreciate the view. So one of the big investments that we've decided to do is put in some large French doors. Now, I really like the crittle look, but they are so expensive. So we're actually going for a much more affordable aluminium door that has a crittle look. And that's coming in with supply and fit at about four, four and a half thousand pounds. And I think you'd probably be talking about 14,000 pounds if it was crittle. So I think it's really important to think about where you can spend and save, like looking at really simple things. Like, for example, we have an ensuite upstairs and I'm going to position the sink and the dishwasher directly below that on the ground floor. So we're sharing the same drains and the water mains and everything are still in there. So again, you know, knowing that wherever you're putting in plumbing or changing uh, drainage, that all adds expense. So if you can use your existing house plan to try and minimise the amount of work you're doing, you're shaving off the budget all the time. So I'm really delighted to say that I'm going to get my kitchen dining spilling out into the garden in the south facing end of the house without spending six figures on an extension. I think it's just an opportunity to really think about the fact that we often jump at the thought of extensions and costly home renovations when really it can be just about reimagining the home you're already in. 
I think that's really interesting because actually I had an email yesterday from uh, from someone I used to work with who has, after years and years of saving, finally decided that she wants to do her loft extension, but prices have gone through the roof. And in the meantime, her daughter's left home and she says that, you know, if I'm honest, I maybe don't need a loft extension, but I've always really wanted one. And I think it's really important to to think about how you use your space. You know, in this house we've moved into, there was a sort of little boxy extension on the back, which was a utility room, and we're going to rebrand it as a pantry. It's all in the rebranding. But we're not extending. And sometimes it is just about moving the spaces to where you want them to be. So exactly like you say, move the small dark kitchen from the north end of the house to the lovely light-filled big room at the other end where the sun is and where you spend the time and make the small dark room into the snug. I think, And I think we don't do that enough. We tend to look at a floor plan or estate agent details and go, okay, that's a bedroom, that's a kitchen, that's a bathroom. I'll just redecorate that as is. And sometimes, you know, just look at a floor plan and take the emotion out of what the space looks like and look at it as a series of boxes and see how the rooms flow and how you might want to move between them. And even if you want to do something that seems massive, like completely relocate your kitchen, that is, of course, cheaper than building a new one. So it's really worth doing that. So, yes, we can get into the nitty gritty now of actual building. And you might hear some ranting in the background. Well, my, you know, the mad husband is trying to work out what to do about the worktop. We'll come back to that. Anyhow. Is this a good time to introduce Tom, the builder husband, do we think? Yes. Because obviously with 25 years experience as a builder, he's helped lots of his clients manage their budget, manage their spend, manage the relationship they have with suppliers, with their architect. And he's got some real little pearls of wisdom on... Where you can't save money on a build, where you really do need to invest, but where you can save not just a little bit, but a lot. Oh, look, there he is. Hello, everybody. Live on our screen. Yes, been a very eventful morning here. I know. I did just share with listeners that we're very lucky to have you on the podcast today because, you know typical this is the life of a builder kate watson smythe i know you're usually swearing about them but this is you seeing it from the other side tom has been fighting fires all morning do you want to update us what typical morning on your site's been like well it wasn't that typical really i mean we had a high ab with a 30 meter reach all set up to crane five massive steels up onto the roof and they turned up at 7 30 started all setting up legs went out so basically we had to block the road unfortunately the high abs started moving and then broke down and basically just would not shift and you can't move the truck once the arm fails so the truck was then stuck in the middle of the road with legs splayed out on either side with all our steel on it and all the guys waiting to get on with the uh pitch in the roof i did have images of it being there for for like 24 48 hours <laughs> is he the one that's blocked my worktop which was meant to be here two hours ago and is now not coming for another five hours probably probably yes okay it's good yeah it's stuck yeah. behind tom's crane 
gosh. But it's really apt because you're on a really big project, aren't you? It's a Victorian terrace in central Brighton and your client has got big ambitions. It's a massive remodel, isn't it, that you're working on at the moment. And I've just shared um, on the podcast with listeners our much more modest renovation where we have ditched the idea of doing a costly extension and yet we're still managing to remodel our house by moving the kitchen down to the other end. But it's what, what this is all about this episode really is where can we look to make the savings? And obviously you and I together have worked out how we can still get our house working for us how we want it without spending six figure numbers. But obviously people have projects of lots of different sizes. And I think the reason why we're highlighting this at the moment is something you and I have faced is the rising cost of materials and indeed trades over the last couple of years. So lots of people may be having their ambitions like we have dashed or indeed just needing to be a lot more savvy with how they how they spend. Are you seeing that, that people are trying to like cut their budgets? Well, I mean, I had an interesting statistic that applications, planning permission applications have fallen by something like 70%. Um, because of people realizing how much it costs to build, obviously that's a bit bit dra- going to be drastic for the building industry at some point. But yeah, there's there's people like my customer who bought this house, you know, huge aspirations, big plans done by the architects, then got the prices in. Um, this was before I was offering my services as a project manager, actually, and um, it was significantly higher than he thought and most of that was to do with the rising cost of everything so yeah there's there's various ways we're sort of bringing the cost down one is uh, it's a bit of a cliched word but sort of value engineering so looking at the build and trying to work out ways of chunking large sums off by either rethinking the project or taking large bits of the project out so going do we really need this and I mean an example would be on this project you know I was brought in to try and bring this into budget or rather make this doable and affordable to some degree and the first thing I sat down with the client and the architect and the first thing I said was well you you're ripping out Um, the timber floor and the ground floor throughout the whole ground floor and you're casting a new concrete floor is there a really good reason to do that because we could just save a huge amount of money by not doing that turned out that um yeah it just seemed like a good idea at the time when they put it into the drawings and it wasn't required so we are now achieving the same results insulating the floor we're actually lowering the timber floor so clients really happy and that was just the first of many ideas we've come up with to um, bring the price into line by me bringing in individual trades rather than a very big um, sort of overhead heavy um, main contractor so main contractor that has all sorts of overheads to to go with now people could project manage their own job and do the same thing if they have the confidence and to be project managing sort of smaller groups of trades it's not an easy thing and it's not for everyone and it can go terribly wrong are you saying that it could it could be a false economy though if you don't oh it could be a massive (laughs) false economy Uh, a friend of mine who's a electrician decided to project manage his own loft conversion thinking he would save himself loads of money he's a fantastic electrician but he didn't have the project managing skills and it cost him about i don't know 
15, 20% more than if he had got a um, loft conversion company in because he just, he didn't have the contacts to get the right people in at the right time, at the right price. And he didn't have the know-how of what it takes to project manage a job. It's, it really is quite complicated. I think it's interesting, Tom, just to, to wind you back a little bit there, that your first point is, you know, we've got to try and take a chunk of money off it because I think, you know, a lot of us get into, well, maybe if I paint it myself or, you know, maybe if I, I offer. So we had some shelves built. Obviously, obviously this is interiors, but we were having some shelves built out of MDF and the, the, the room is 240 high and the sheet of MDF comes in 220. And the builder said to us, well, actually, if you make your shelves a bit shorter, then we don't have to buy extra materials. We don't have to do the extra labour to make the join and so on and so forth. So and, and I appreciate that's a small change that we were able to make. But you're just going straight in and going, actually, let's rethink this sort of in the global side of things and decide let's start with taking off big chunks of money, not little bits around the edges, which I think is perhaps our temptation. Yeah, exactly. People want to exactly, as you say, oh, I'll paint it myself, you know, they, I'll I'll save a bit by changing the how many shelves I'm going to... It just doesn't work. It doesn't bring things into budget. You have to go for some really low-lying fruits, but big-hitting items. And it, and it usually does require a rethink of as, of large aspects of the project because, you know, buying cheaper tiles just won't do it. I think, in my experience, and possibly in yours, Tom, it can be down to, find, like you say, finding the right people. And architects are on quite a sliding scale, aren't they? You get architects who like to spec high, you know, the best windows, the best doors, the fancy little design details or the little architectural nerdy little bits that are quite thrilling. But actually, when the builder prices are up, is quite expensive. I mean, we've had that on projects before, haven't we, where we've had to take away some of the more beautiful architectural details that the architects put in because it was just coming in over budget. So maybe finding an architect who aligns to how much you want to spend is quite a good place to start. Yeah, and that, I mean, you know, easier said than done because until someone designs something, you don't really know. And it is very hard for people to to understand what aspects of a build are costing them lots of money. Looking at the structure, looking at, you know, if there's loads of steel and there's posts coming down everywhere and there's all of this going on, just looking at it and going, crikey, what what have we designed here? You know, like, can we just scale this down by, you know, sometimes you can take out thousands and thousands of pounds worth of work by having a little bit of extra wall added in, which which allows the building to have more structural stability and suddenly the steelwork goes from a majorly complicated operation to a much less complicated operation. Do you think there's going to be a change as well? We've had in recent years, as you say, this massive sort of fashion for open plan living. And and, and Sophie and I have talked about this on the podcast from an interiors point of view about how, how actually walls can be quite good things when you have children and, you know, dividing the spaces up again. And we've seen this fashion for, you know, huge bifold open doors and seamless frameless glass extensions but you know environmentally those are less good and 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 our uh, climate is getting warmer so maybe we don't want so much glass because it's too hot is it too early to see if there's a change from from open plan and lots of glass 
to, as you say, walls and smaller windows? Or is it too early to see that? Seems like an obvious way to save money. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't think in terms of climate change, smaller windows is going to really be a significant thing we'll see. There is probably a slight uh, reversal and people are realising that total open plan living is not brilliant. In fact, on this project that we've got going on here, we've it, it's gone from very open plan living to um, putting some of the walls back in with some pocket doors so that they can close all off areas but these are very large pocket doors we're putting in that still allow for that open plan feel when they when when they slide back into the wall so yeah and that was a that was quite a last minute thing that uh, I talked to the client about and we had redesigned one thing I do just need to add if you want to project manage your own job there is something called CDM notifiable which is basically if your job is of a certain size you have to by law notify this job send a send a, a notification to the HSE the health and safety executive and it then becomes under construction design management. So you have to have various health and safety aspects. Now, I can't possibly describe it all in this podcast, but you just got to look it up. And if you're going to project manage yourself, you have to know that you're going to fit in with those regulations and that that's all going to fit together properly. One of those things is you have to have a main contractor. You have to have somebody who is registered on the on the F10 form as the main contractor. Now, just look it up, the CDM requirements. If your job's going to be more than 30 days long and have more than 20 people on site at any one time, that's the first category. So more than 30 days, more than 20 people at any one time. Or if it's going to have more than 500 man days of work, then within the whole job. Now, the 500 man days isn't a lot. Most jobs, most reasonable sized jobs have that. And it needs to be CDM notifiable. So if you're going to project manage yourself, just look that up. I think just from a personal point of view, the way my day is going at the moment, that um, project <laughs> management, you know, you think it might save you money, but it's going to cost you quite a lot in therapy. At least that's where I'm landing at this moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I mean, those are really those are really valid tips. And I think but. For anybody who's perhaps not doing something quite as big, you know, are there ways you can save on a, a you know, the kitchen extension is the obvious one um, and bathrooms. I mean, there, are there other big, it's basically refining the design, you're saying, is the first thing to look at. Yeah, I would say kitchen extension, look at simple things like has your architect, for example, on this job, has your architect said, well, let's just put a big fat concrete floor in you know a lot cheaper to put a timber floor in if that's doable has your architect designed the doors to be as big as possible therefore look at the structural design what implications are there for that the structural engineers had to put in place for these lovely great big doors you could reduce the size of them a bit and have a little nib on either side of them and suddenly the structure becomes a lot easier to do but that's probably one that people really don't 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 usually know about is that a small amount of extra brickwork or block work means much less steel work and therefore you're saving there's a point there as well between block work and brickwork isn't there because we had an extension built in the last house which was breeze blocks which were then rendered um, and I know that my builders are currently doing an extension uh, not far from here 
which is all beautiful old London stock bricks and they've all got to be laid individually and pointed and so there's you get even into the materials cost you're also looking at the labour cost aren't you as to how long it might take to create the finish you want or the structure you want. Yeah so people think that timber frame construction is um, it's it's certainly most likely more environmentally friendly but people think because the timber frame flies up so quickly it must be the cheapest way to build but there's so many layers of materials that have to go on top of a timber frame that I'm not convinced it's the much more environmentally friendly but certainly it it's certainly not quicker the a, a cavity wall construction is definitely quicker um but yeah exactly you've got to look at the time i think this is the thing what you're touching on as well is materials versus labor and sometimes you can get materials that seem quite affordable but they require a lot of labor i think another classic one is tiling bathrooms if you go for little tiny tiles in quite an intricate pattern you're going to be paying a lot more labor for your tiler to tile them than if you went for the big format tiles for example so it's all those little hidden costs when it comes to the design or renovation isn't it that you've got to factor in the amount of time for the, for the for the trades to do it and the other one is when it comes to these you know famous glass doors I think you know the the idea is people as I say wanted bifold doors and we had them in the last house but the amount of days we actually opened them all the way across were, were you know probably count on the well, two hands if not one you know the more moving parts you've got the more expensive it is isn't it with hinges and glass and handles so actually you can have the same light filled effect by perhaps having just a single door that opens or a small double door and having just panels of glass down the side that don't need to move that yeah and um the more snazzy it is in terms of architectural design the more it's going to cost and people go but why and it's like it just is because if you want like for instance a flush threshold people go well, why is that more expensive and it's like there is so much more labor and and brain power and everything required and all sorts of little hidden gullies for keeping the water away from your house you know if it's one of these things that you see in a magazine and it just looks beautiful because it's all flush and trim and everything just slides all the way through and there's no threshold, blah, 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 it just puts the price up enormously. So if you want to save money, don't come up with ideas like that. This has really reminded me, darling, of lots of conversations we have with the, but why can't I have <laughs> Maybe it's your maybe it's your voice I'm hearing in my head. <laughs> I think it's a sort of a, a collaboration of lots of people saying, but why all at the same time? <laughs> but I also think the thing you can do, and we've tried to do that a bit with this house, is yes, architecturally, you know, all these flush, seamless levels might look beautiful. But again, maybe thinking about the building you live in, that you know, we live in a Victorian house. Nobody would be expecting to have it beautifully flush and trim. So if it saves you a chunk of money to have a step, then maybe don't beat yourself up about it. You know, have the step uh, that might be more in keeping. I think it comes back to um, thinking about your non-negotiables as well. So one of the most famous arguments... Uh, that Tom and I have had during our renovation is over our windows. So when we moved into our house, our house is a late Victorian uh, Sussex farmhouse. And somebody in their wisdom thought it was a good idea to fill it with UPVC windows. And it just rubbed me so bad that we've got this lovely tile hung facade, uh, beautiful hand cut clay tiles on this on the roof. Like there's so many lovely element original elements to our home. And then we've got these white 
plastic shiny windows and I just couldn't live with them and Tom you know always being the environmentalist that he is was like I absolutely refuse to rip out perfectly functional windows and put them into landfill Sophie just because you don't like the shiny plastic and we couldn't get past it and then I got a quote in I thought well I'm gonna have these windows and I'll just find a way of paying for it and I got a quote in and to replace and this wasn't even all the windows the majority was and this is also pre-pandemic, £16,000. And that settled that argument quite quickly. Um, so I think it's, again, like, you know, what budget have you got and how passionate do you feel about it? But what did we do? I know! So, I know, drum roll, I'm getting to this. We painted them, didn't we? And I say we, that's the royal we. I didn't pick up a paintbrush. Tom painted them uh, using a, what was it, darling? The key to painting plastic is to start with an all-surface primer. The one we used was by Little Green. There's another one called Zinza. Zinza 123, all-surface primer. You don't have to sand the windows, just clean the windows. Make sure they're clean and then paint this on. And then you put any exterior paint on top of that. And it actually lasts much better than paint would on a wooden window because the plastic doesn't move and warp and stuff like that, like wooden windows. And it's a hell of a lot easier than painting wooden windows because you're not having to use the paint to seal the the wood. You're literally just using the paint for aesthetic reasons. Really good tip. Yeah, it's been brilliant and it saved us a ton of money. I mean, one thing I wanted to touch on was this whole conversation of where do you spend and where do you save? So obviously we saved a chunk of money by compromising on our plastic windows and we got around it with paint. Do you know, do you have some advice for people of where there's, it's just non-negotiable, you just have to invest in good xyz but you can come back in other areas i would say i mean not this isn't an aesthetic thing it's not an interior design thing but it's a a living standards thing this this client has um suddenly become very aware that his house is next to a multiple occupancy house very nice people next door but you can hear a lot of what's going on so I said to him, look, we've saved a whole load of money here, left, right and centre, and we keep on doing that all the way through. But let's invest in some good soundproofing be- between you and next door, because you will never regret that. It's the only time to do it now. And uh, we've designed a, a cracking system um, with the help of James Stringfellow, who runs Brighton Electric, who is now my soundproofing expert. He's a friend of ours. He's got a music studio in Brighton. Yeah, and he's done all his own soundproofing. He is, he's really got the knowledge. Font of, all, <laughs> font of all soundproofing knowledge. Another thing that, so for example, we did, we discovered, I mean, because there's always these unexpected costs as well that hit you on a build. We had it in our house where we discovered quite early on that the damp proof system was faulty even though when we purchased the house it had a certificate to say it was installed it was installed incorrectly and so we ended up having to put a new one in it meant taking all the rads off so I think timing can be quite important we then decided to do underfloor heating didn't we to make the most of that opportunity and again it's these unforeseen costs but sometimes it's better just to do it and seize the moment like you say rather than doing the whole house and years on thinking oh let's put underfloor heating in now yeah yeah if you if you're backtracking or double doing things like spending ten thousand pounds putting a water main in when we already had water oh, yeah we did um, that as well didn't we oh it's so painful isn't it so we had a really leaky old lead pipe going to our house and our neighbors were building a new build and they were like we're up for putting in a new water main to get rid of this leaky old pipe 
but we want to do it now. If we split the cost 50-50, I mean, it's just never ending, isn't it? But we had to do it. There's another classic sort of um, aesthetic versus functionality. Mm. Is that you were like, but we've got water. And I I said, yes, but our water main runs over three fields, um, two different neighbours, you know, two miles. And then two, you know, I've blown my own trumpet here, but two weeks before Christmas, absolutely pouring down with rain southeast water turned up and they said you've got a leak somewhere between you and three miles away across the fields and it's going to cost you um at least a hundred thousand pounds to fix and i went don't worry i put a new water main in <laughs> god i'm a big head aren't i <laughs> you are that's why i married you darling yeah you can leave that bit out of the, uh, out of the podcast no 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 you saying that i mean my bit oh <laughs> uh, you're always you're always fond of all knowledge and we'll, we'll let you get back to the building site before the boys come back from lunch no worries <laughs> cheers all thank you tom thanks for having me on your podcast again it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much tom i mean as ever lots of interesting information on the air so you know i've missed some of those chunky tidbits of advice but you listeners have no excuses now well that's all that we've got time for this week if you've got any questions for tom you can of course jump onto our facebook page it's the great indoors podcast if you've got any questions i'll get him to have a look at them for you because he's very generous with his um insights and information and all that remains is for us to thank our lovely sponsors, Corsten.com. And our producer, Sarah Cadden of Feast Collective. And make sure you are following us on Instagram, where we are sharing our own renovations. I'm Sophie Robinson Interiors, and she's mad about the house. We'll see you there, and we'll see you all in the great indoors. Oh, no, are you calling them back? Yeah. Is it going to be the ETA? Oh, hi, I just missed a call from you. Oh, yes, with my work top. <laughs> It is worktop update. Okay, I mean, if it if it's six, that I'm going to have to talk to my builders and make sure they can stay on site. Are you? I mean, is he uh, realistically? Oh dear. Twenty twenty past twenty past four. She hasn't got a light bulb face on. All right, I'll talk to you in five. Tell him to keep driving. <laughs> All right. I'll speak to you in a minute. Thanks. Bye. No, it's not a light bulb face. <laughs>